Morning. Hello. Wave out of a window. I did this last time, so keep waving because we're going to show everyone at home who's here. We have over 33 cars here, which means probably 80 plus people because there's many people in these cars. So excited that you could make it. Wave to everyone at home. <laughs> right. Now I'm going to try and put that camera back where it's supposed to be. Do my best. Let's see. Gareth will adjust it, I'm sure. Right. Morning again. So I'm Andy, uh, one of the elders from this uh, car park church as it is today. Um, and I've got the joy of bringing you the word of God. Um, so it's the end of the summer break, um, really. The kids are going back to school. Uh, and traditionally, uh, we would have been away for a weekend. We would have gone away in one form or another, weekend uh, the bank holiday. And we would have been using this Sunday to kind of share vision for the future. And I actually entitled this preach vision lol. Like, what on earth <laughs> can I say to you at the moment about where things are going to be? Um, so if 2020 has taught us anything, it must be that things are unpredictable. We cannot do the kind of fortune telling version when we give you exactly what's going to happen in the next year or two and give you precise details. We have to be mindful that 2020 has taught us this. Um, but I want to say that we, we, that's a problem if you always want to know what's happening for the next six months. That's more like planning and scheduling. That's not really vision and where God's taking us as a church or the church. Um, so I want, us to, I want us to lift our eyes today. Every one of us, lift our eyes above current circumstances, above COVID-19 and fix our eyes because that this is, even though it seems so significant what's going on, to, to preach in a car park is sort of a weird thing because it's a reaction to what's going on, but it's still short-term affliction stuff. In the light of eternity, this is short-term inconvenience, if anything, and affliction. Um, so I want to read to you, and I've got scriptures um, we printed out so you can kind of track along. But I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 6, uh, sorry, 4, 16 to 18. If you're at home, you can look that up on, in your Bible. It says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for a, as an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I'll read that again. This light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, sorry, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amazing. There's so much, I'm sure. I don't know what you're like now, but I know when this all kicked off. I was transfixed on the news, transfixed on the numbers and the media. This is transient. It's going to pass away. We're going to focus on the things that are eternal. Right. There's a quiz. Obviously, you at home didn't get this quiz. This was uh, for those that arrived in cars today. And um, uh, we gave you a quiz of sliced logos. Uh, we handed it out as you arrived. Um, so I'm going to read the answers. And if you got the quiz right... You can wave your sheet outside your car window somewhere. So let's go through it. Number one, BHS. Number two, Tyrac. Number three, Staples. Number four, Blockbuster Video. Number five, Toys Are Us. Number six, Polaroid. Number seven, Kodak. 
Number eight, Hoover. Number nine, Phones for You. And number 10, Maplin Electronics. Anyone waving that sheet out of their car window? Ah, yes, three. I knew you'd get it, Kemp. Um, yeah, so most of you should have my phone number, hopefully. Get your phone out. And either on WhatsApp or text message, and the first one to get the message in wins, and you can do this at home because you heard me say the names of those companies. Text me the answer to this question. What's common to all those brands and companies in that logo quiz? Whoa, that was fast. Alex Steed. Wow. Ah, who's first? It's, man. <laughs> I think the winner is... Ali Fleming. Where's Ali? Like, she's a bit of a quiz queen anyway, so well done, Ali. Brilliant um, stuff. So, yes, they're all companies that have, in some way, in your, your terms of things, they've gone bust, they've gone bankrupt, they don't really exist anymore. That is the common thing between those companies. You're, you're right. Now, um, what happened? What happened? Think of those companies, those brands that we grew up with, and they're not even grown up with. Toys R Us is recent. You know, These are companies that aren't old. Some of them have gone very, very recently, and it wasn't related to COVID. Toys R Us, if you remember, went bankrupt just before this all kicked off. No point sending me any more. Uh, right, um, answers there. Uh, so what I believe went wrong with those companies when I look at them and those brands is that they lacked resilience under testing, and they had an inability to adapt to change and a changing culture. So, and that, that, that lack of ability to adapt, that a, a lack of kind of resilience was kind of linked to a false nostalgia um, and an overcommitment to the way that they did things. The way they did things, things have moved on and those companies were not keeping up. So they held on to the, the things of the past while things were changing dramatically. Take Eastman Kodak or just Kodak as we know it. Now, some of your kids in your cars will be going, who? But Kodak was a massive, massive company. Um, they were formed in 1888. They're that old. Um, they own 90% of the film market. Now, those of you who can remember, and I definitely can remember, you know, we used to send off many films every other week of holidays. There'd be like 10 films going off for processing and the pictures would come back on that paper, Kodak paper. It was all Kodak. They had 90% of that market. They were totally dominant. They had a factory down in Harrow, which is no longer there if you go past. It's just a packing operation. It's now been turned into housing and everything else because the business just doesn't really exist anymore. It's a brand name now. I worked there. My whole family worked there. We all worked, my brother, my mum, my dad, my uncles, they, we all worked at Kodak, and now none of us do because it's all gone. Kodak lost sight of what they were really about. What they were really about was giving people the ability to capture memories forever. That's what they were actually about. The whole idea of what they were there to really do was to give you the ability to capture your memories forever. Instead, they thought they were about manufacturing and selling film. So they lost their primary purpose, which then messed up their thinking. And here's the next question. And if you want to message this one to me, um, again on the WhatsApp, I will give you tons of respect. If you can name the person in that picture at the bottom, if you can name that guy, his actual name, it's a lot quieter on my phone now, uh, 
you will get my undying respect as an absolute quiz ninja. <laughs> Mr. Polaroid Alley, no. no. And, and we have no other answers coming in because no one knows who he is. That guy in that picture is a guy called Stephen Sasson, and he invented the digital camera. That's him, Stephen Sasson, who no one knows the name of, because guess who Stephen Sasson worked for? Kodak. Stephen worked for Kodak. He was an innovative R&D guy in Kodak. He invented that thing there. Show your kids if you've got kids in the cars. That is a camera, the first digital camera that now your phone does a gazillion times better. That thing could take 30 images of poor quality on tape, but it was digital. The first one that ever came out, 1975. It was rejected because Kodak saw it as a competitor to their own product, which is selling film. So they rejected it. They said, that's not part of our mission. That's not where, what we're about. We're not here for that. Well, of course, that was a way of people capturing their memories forever in an even more convenient way. But Kodak weren't like, no, we're not doing that because that doesn't fit in with what we're, we think we're about. Kodak went bankrupt in 2013. It's now a packaging company, like I say, and now it's actually just become a pharmaceutical manufacturer. If you watch the news in the United States, they said to President Trump, they'll help make things. Kodak lost sight of its purpose, got lost in its structures, and when change came and it came fast, it washed them away to all but an echo of what they once were. And when you, if you'd worked there, it was like working in a small town. There was so much going on. So let me talk about the indestructible church, because, beloved, the fate, the fate of Kodak has ramifications for the fate of a church that does not change. And we've got to watch out and not risk ourselves falling into a similar trap. Today is a bit of a celebration, I feel, in my heart. I was so excited to see so many of you turn up that we are not a church that sits around thinking, ah, things have changed, we'll just wait to go back to the old way. This is a, this is a way to do things differently. But I'm going to use some history today to try and show that the church is ultimately indestructible. Ultimately, it's indestructible. But it's locally quite vulnerable at times. And we need to learn through the lenses of history what's been going on in the church so that we don't just talk about survival. We get excited about this could be the start of revival. Amen. Say amen in your car, flash your lights. This isn't about survival. This could be about revival. So we're going to start with resilience because I said these companies, and Kodak is my example, lack resilience. So what makes a church resilient? What makes us as a church resilient. It's not the structures. It's not the design. It's not the light shows. I, I was thinking the other day, you know, so many churches invested so much money in lighting and equipment and kind of smoke machines if you've been to some churches. Where's it all sitting now, locked away in a warehouse somewhere, completely unused because that stuff isn't useful at the moment. So it's not in the structures. It's not in the equipment. What makes a church resilient is quite different. It's holding fast holding fast to our core purpose, holding fast to it, our mission, the mission of the church, to go and make disciples of all nations, to know God and to make him known. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. What makes the church resilient is the gospel itself. What makes us resilient is the gospel itself. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is power of God. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, ultimately to everybody. 1 John 2.2, 2, he, Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. 
and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God is holy. He is perfect. We are not. We are flawed, sinful people. God, though, is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. That love culminates. It reaches, for me, its pinnacle in the expression of Christ on the cross. He so loved the world, God, that he gave his one and only son, that none should perish, but whoever believes in him could inherit eternal life. We're all offered freedom from sin, which is why we sing, why we raise our hands, why we dance sometimes if we really can break free of our restrictions because we're worshipping and celebrating that he has set us free. We are offered freedom from sin in Christ, a new life. And when you take it, when you take that offer, it changes everything. What keeps marching on through time, relentlessly never stopping, is the gospel. It goes through times of change. It goes through times of struggle. It goes through opposition. It goes through persecution. It goes through cultural rejection. But it just keeps advancing. The gospel is advancing. So I'm going to share with you today two stunning, I think, examples that kind of make that point. I'm going to talk to you about um, Project Orca first. Now, many of you will know this, but even if you do, I still, I know it, but I read it again and it just stirred my spirit again. So if you know this story, um, enjoy listening to it again. If you don't know it, it is a fascinating story. 1955. Five men fly deep into the Ecuadorian rainforest, convicted and convinced to take the gospel to an unreached people. So they can, they, they, one of them's a pilot and they have a plane, which makes a big difference. They're part of a thing called MAF now. Um, but they can fly into the place where no one could go before because they have access. For 13 weeks, they fly around the Ecuadorian rainforest, knowing there's a people down there that are unreached. They drop gifts down every day, day, I believe, down into this tribe who are renowned for their violence. And they keep dropping gifts down and down with messages of love and the gospel and also getting ready to share that gospel with them because they believe it's so powerful. Um, you've got a picture in your, on your sheets of Nate Saint. Uh, you'll see him there. He was the pilot. He's with his friend, um, a guy called Jim Ellis, and there was three other guys involved as well. And the story, read it in detail, it's fascinating. But um, all five of them, they land on uh, the beach on the 5th of January, uh, 1956. And after three days, they make contact briefly with the tribe, the Orca. They think that's good, and they go away, and they decide to go back again. Two days later, they return, excited that they've now made contact. Now they can share the gospel. This is their excitement. They can share the gospel with the orca. Within hours, all of them were slaughtered. All of them were killed by the orca. Here comes the resilience part. Here comes the resilience part, because the world was shocked. How can that happen? How can that happen? These have gone to take the gospel and they've been murdered. The resilience comes in the form of the lady you see in the picture. Her name is Elizabeth Ellis, uh, Jim Ellis's wife. And also Nate Saint's uh, sister, I believe, called Rachel. And they decide to continue to pursue the Orca women, to make contact with them so they can make contact with the tribe. So after all that's happened, they continue to press in and carry on the work Elizabeth and Rachel, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel, bring the gospel to the Orca tribe. 
teaching them Christ's model of how to forgive fearlessly and to love tremendously. To forgive fearlessly and to love tremendously. The gospel runs rampant amongst this tribe. They changed their name. Orca meant savage. They changed their name to Warani, which means true people or truth people. To leave that past behind because of the power of the gospel. The tribe was transformed and Nate, the pilot, his son, his son commits his life to the tribe. He decides to stay with them permanently. His name is Steve. So Steve Saint stays with the tribe, commits his life to them. His son joins the tribe. Now here's, now you think that's amazing. It gets even more stunning when you hear the story. So Steve is baptized, because he's a young kid when this all starts, decides to stay, gets baptized as he becomes an adult in the village by a guy called Minkaye, or Minkay. Minkay is the man who murdered his father. That's the power of the gospel unto salvation. That's the power when you can forgive fearlessly and love tremendously. He was baptized by Minkaye. The church is resilient not because it is set up well and structured well. It is resilient because at the heart of it is the gospel. At the heart of it is the power of God unto salvation. We've got to wrap ourselves around the gospel. So this is a vision Sunday, a re-envisioning Sunday, I think. Wrap ourselves around the gospel first and foremost as a body. Put the gospel at the center of us because it's never going to die. It's never going to stop. It never stops. It never stops working, as we just sang. But I think there's a warning in this as well as an encouragement for us personally and us as a church. Lose sight of the gospel. You can get overrun by circumstances. Wrap ourselves around it. Put it at the core and attach ourselves. See its power and enjoy the ride. Let me move on to my next point, which is, uh, I've called it the Chinese way, which is a song by Level 42, but it's nothing to do with that, one of my favorites. Um, so with the gospel at the core, I want to look at the second issue that I mentioned about Kodak and those companies. The inability to adapt so we're going to go from Ecuador to China, and I'm indebted to, I did see them arrive, Matt Nell's here somewhere, so uh, it's a plug, so no shameless plug for a book that Matt wrote called Defenders of the Faith, which he gave to me the first time I met him, which I've now read uh, a few times now, read it again, um, because I find this just fascinating when you look at what the church has been through, and it's about when the church faces challenge and faces difficulty and comes under forms of attack. Um, so cultural attack, theological attack, and political attack, it covers those, and, and some of those overlap, of course. So let me tell the story of the church in China. Now, when we tell, some of you know the story of the church in China, and when we tell it, we tell it very, very simply, um, as Matt's book kind of you know, revealed to me, because I'd only known bits of the story before then. We, we know the story of, oh, I was oppressed by the communists, and it went underground, and now it's burst out from underground, and now it's huge, which is true, but that's actually just the end of, of a, a massive, long story that's exciting when you read about it. 
because it hides all of that. Now I'm going to do a super potted history, which probably makes that even worse. And I do apologise, Matt, to do a super potted history of this. But buy the book. You'll get a hold of a copy of the book and read it. And you'll see so much more that went on, went on in this church. I want to focus on, on some of the specific troubles of trying to get the church established in the Chinese culture and the Chinese way of doing life. So in my super potted history, uh, the Christian church in China does not start when the communist government of years ago. It starts back in 635. So 635, a, a guy called Alo Pen from Syria creates a church. It's dubbed the Nestorian um, church in China. And that's when Christianity really sort of began in the country. It was more like mon monastic, like they're in monasteries, so very much like the Buddhists. They just kept it to themselves, not very evangelical. That gets repressed uh, about 200 years later by an emperor called Wu Sung, who doesn't like this kind of secret society thing and says, I'm done with that. And he starts to basically pressure it out. And then in an audit in 987, so about another you know, 100 years later, they do an audit. There's no Christianity that they can find left in China. So it looks like it's disappeared. Fast forward now to the 16th century, or the 1600s, sorry. There's a fresh start. And the Christian church this time is more successful. It's under a Jesuit priest. His name is Matteo Ricci. And uh, he starts a mission to China. And he learns the language. He learns the culture. And uh, he respects the Chinese and their customs and the things that they value. And he is really successful when he starts the church up because um, he realizes he needs to kind of understand and em embrace in some ways what they do. So Chinese Christians are allowed to carry on with some of their cultural rituals they used to um, as long as they're not in conflict with the Christian faith. And so um, by 1962, or 1692, sorry, Christianity is no longer seen as a major threat to China and the Chinese way of life. And so for many decades, it grows and it's strong. And then it starts to unravel. And it unravels because of interference from Rome. They have dissatisfaction with this kind of what looks like you're mixing two cultures here. You're mixing Christianity with life, the way of doing things in China, which sounds strange when I put it that way, but that, that is the case. So by the middle of the 18th century, Rome determines Christianity will only be practiced purely with no allowances for the Chinese culture. They hold masses in Latin. And soon enough, the church becomes a foreign body and it's rejected by the host. Persecution follows. By the end of the 18th century, the Christian church again has all but disappeared. Fast forward now one more time to 1842. Trade routes open up to China. Hong Kong becomes British. And there's missionaries see that as an opportunity, not a threat, to reach this unreached people again. And no, most notable one is the picture you see of a, a man called Hudson Taylor, who, again, is a fascinating story to read. He's part of a thing called the Chinese in their mission in 1865. This is groundbreaking, but it has echoes of the kind of same thing you hear about Matteo Ricci. Taylor and his, his, his friends and the, the people he's with and the other people in that mission are passionate about understanding the Chinese culture, their way of life, because it's different from the way of life that they have experienced. They look to drive the mission and spread the gospel through Chinese people, not by driving a Western route, but by establishing the Chinese way, the Chinese route, the Chinese way of doing Christianity and understanding how you bring that into your culture. And it works. And it works. 
Matt's book quotes this. It says, Christianity spread from the coastal cities where Westerners had the freedom to practice their religion throughout China, leading to the establishment of Christian schools and theological colleges. I'm going to stop the China story there. I could, I could give you a whole hour on it just based on my own fascination with it. My point is this, and you can read it for yourself. You know now that there is somewhere between 60 to 90 million Christians in China that it continues to grow and there is a belief that within the next three to four years there will be more Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party. That's a big shift, of course. The gospel will not be stopped. The church wrapped around the gospel will continue to advance because it's the power of God unto salvation. Why did I tell the China story? I want to compare it back to the Kodak example I showed you again earlier. The groundbreaking technology that Kodak ignored at its peril. Now this might sound a bit doomsday scenario, what I'm about to share and what I'm about to say. But let me make this clear. Let me look at Hudson Taylor and Matteo Ricci as two of our teachers here. The UK, in fact the world probably, but let's just talk about this country right now. The UK and is going through rapid, rapid change. Cultural norms are changing. The way of working is changing. The way of doing education is changing. It was changing anyway. It was changing anyway. It's just changed so rapidly, so suddenly. Through COVID-19, it's just accelerated lots of things that were kind of on the edge of happening anyway. Interaction has changed. One meter away for a start. But interaction has generally changed. Working life for most of us, or every one of us in some way, is different from what it once was. Retirement is different. The things you can do in retirement are different. Education has changed. And technology has exploded because of the change. And let's be clear, and I don't want this to sound doomsday, it's not going back to the way it used to be. It, it won't. And we need to accept that. Otherwise, we'll be talking vision while the world moves in a different direction. We're in danger if we want to try and say, let's just get back to the way we once were. Re-establish the church as it was. That's behaving like Rome. That's trying to make our way of doing church fit into a culture that is different. It was going to be different anyway, but now it's significantly different. So what am I saying? Your head dropping online forever? Am I going to spend the rest of my worshipping life in a car? Is that No, I'm not saying that at all. But we have to accept that our mission and purpose is not to maintain our way of doing church. Our mission and purpose is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Our mission and purpose is to know God and to make him known. We're supposed to look for ways to share that gospel. Romans 10, 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In preparation for today, I felt God really impressed this on me in an encouraging, challenging, positive way. As a church, we need a fresh anointing of our love for the gospel. A fresh excitement about its power and a fresh realisation that we are on mission. 
we are in some ways in a new China situation. A culture that needs to be reached and because of technology can be reached in new ways. Remember Hudson Taylor and those missionaries reached it because trade routes opened up that were not there previously. Routes have opened up that were not there previously. And we're trying to think, how do we get back to the church the way I like it? We should be thinking, how does this create an opportunity to share the gospel in ways that I couldn't before? Because it, it is an opportunity. It is a route into people that previously would not be reached and certainly won't be reached by, I wonder if you're just going to wander into our church one day, walk through the door and hear the gospel. That, that's not been happening for years. But this is a fantastic, amazing opportunity. So if we are in church, ironically, ironic statement, if we were in physical church right now, I'd ask you all to stand if you want a fresh, a fresh anointing for the gospel, a fresh sense of that power. But you can't, we can't do that. So immediately we're going to adapt. We're just going to say where you are in your car. If you would have stood up and I said, stand up now and open up your hands. If you want to receive a fresh excitement about the gospel, a fresh, not, a, not necessarily a revelation of it, but a fresh excitement about what it means because it is the power of God unto salvation. I'd say stand up, but you can't. So you can just, in your car or at home, just reach out your hands. And I'm going to finish by praying for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit over us. Because as I'm going to read, when I read Isaiah 61, 1 to 2 in a moment, you'll see that this is actually an act of the Spirit when we're given fresh anointing to preach good news. We want to be blessed feet that take the good news to those that hear them. My vision, my hope at the moment is that we see this change in our culture and change in our way of doing life as an opportunity as an opportunity, not a threat to our way of doing church, but a chance to do a fresh way of thinking, how do we reach people who are currently sat at home and have never heard the gospel and won't, as I say, come through our doors. Let me pray for us and anyone who wants to receive that fresh anointing. Then I'm going to close by reading Isaiah 61, 1 to 2. While I'm doing that, if the band would like to, to come back up, we're going to do a song and then we're going to be prayed for as we leave. So let me, let me start to pray. And uh, if the band want to sort of get ready and I'll step, step aside in a moment. Heavenly Father, we repent. I repent when the gospel has become secondary to the way I like to do church. Father God, would you help us all put the gospel back to the very center of our personal lives, our personal thoughts, and our thoughts about what the church is to be. It is, the, it is salvation from condemnation, from the consequences of sin. That's what we're about. We're about sharing that good news that Jesus Christ died so that you will be free from your sin. You're allowed to become a new creation. You're allowed to reestablish the relationship with God that was broken by our sin. Father, would you help us to pull that back to the very center of our own walk and the center of our walk as a church so that we could be excited about what seems to be restrictive but is actually an opportunity, a fresh way of opening up a bunch of people that we know the gospel. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you. We know the gospel. Most people here know the gospel. But there are millions who don't. And this is an opportunity if we just work it through with you. Ask you to guide us how to be wise, not to mimic culture, not to become the copy of culture, 
but to say that's the culture, that's the mission field you have placed us in. Give us wisdom, Father God, in this new, this new culture, this new age, this new age of technology. Give us wisdom, Father God, an opportunity to share the good news through this, this new culture, not fight against it, Father. But we don't want to be shaped by culture. We don't want to be, we want to be countercultural in many ways, but we want to do that within the culture, that we express your love, express the good news. We need your Holy Spirit's help. We need the breath of God to come upon us. This isn't about human effort or getting a better, better way of preaching, a better way of saying things. I'm going to read Isaiah 61, 1-2 and pray this over us as a truth. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the, lead, the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Amen. Bless you guys. I, I am genuinely, as I prepared, more excited, not so, oh, this is all just so different. I think it is different. It's a great opportunity to share the good news. Amen.